is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Wednesday, April 12th, 2023, and today will be better than yesterday. Uh, Working from Florida is Sarah Abbott. Taylor Schwink is working from the Schwink Studios back in Connecticut, and I'm Buster Olney, uh, working in my home in Montana. Check, 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 check. How's the microphone sound, guys? Beautiful, Buster, coming in loud and clear. How's it feel? Well, I, you know, it feels good because you guys are relieved because there have been times in the last week when you're like, oh, my God, we got to deal with the microphone situation. And the other day with baggage claim Monday from the world's largest airport, uh, this is a significant upgrade, I'm hoping. Yeah, Sarah was doing some great tech support when I hopped on here. Thanks for doing that, Sarah. Of course, IT Sarah. That's obviously <laughs> my <IT> specialty. Sarah. <laughs> Well, today we're going to be talking about celebrations and the culture of dugout celebrations, which in baseball has changed dramatically. Jessica Mendoza is going to join us. Todd Radom is going to join us. Jesse Rogers also. First, we should start with this. The year of Otani rolls on. He faced the Washington Nationals last night and he was outstanding. Victor Robles is the batter, nine-hole hitter. He's 0 for 1. There's a ball, bounces second, looks like two. Run Hayfield to the bag and the throw to first. And just like that, the inning is over. A 4-3 inning-ending double play. Terry Smith, Angels Radio, AM 830. Yeah, Shohei Otani, seven scoreless innings. It's crazy how good he is right now. Uh, And we're going to be talking about that with Jessica Mendoza. In the Orioles game last night, what a moment for Ryan Mountcastle. High fly ball left field. Did he? Yes, he did. As grand as it gets. 456 feet. And we just said, Mountie, sit on that slider. And he got one right in the heart of the plate. A nine. Count them. RBI Knights for Ryan Mountcastle. According to ESPN Stats Information, Mountcastle is a third player in Major League Baseball this year to hit a three-run homer and grand slam in the same game, joining Dodgers duo Trace Thompson and Max Muncy. He's the first Orioles player to pull off the feat since Ramon Hernandez against the Mariners in 2006. Nine RBI for Ryan Mountcastle. And how about that home run celebration, Taylor? Buster, what are you referring to the dong bong? Is that what you're talking about here? Is that what you're going to call it? Yeah, well, the players, they're calling it the uh, the Homer hose. So, you know, not trying to get into uh, any trouble here. And I feel like we need to respect the players' wishes. But, I mean, it's a new world that we're living in since the last time we talked with the, with the Homer hose slash dong bong has taken, uh, you know, the planet by storm. All right. I heard you wanted to play sound. Go ahead. Push home a run, and boy, he did much better than that. And what do we have here? <laughs> yeah, so it, it basically is what what uh, what we knew in college to be a beer bong, right? Correct. Uh, and they pour water down, and they, this this is what the Orioles and players players have started this year. We're gonna, I think, give you sort of an informal ranking of where that stands among all the Homer celebrations that have broken out around baseball. Twins and White Sox. Uh, there was just a general celebration, not a dugout celebration, after this happened. 
They pinch both corners, square it up, bunt to the third baseman. Alberto has it, throws to first. Ball gets away. The White Sox are going to White Sox. They threw it down the line. Castro touches home, and the Twins win the game 4-3. Yeah, the White Sox defense so far this year, not good. That sound from Treasure Island, Baseball Network. The Braves, the Reds, and Orlando Arcia so far this year has been terrific. This is what he did in the bottom of the fifth. Orlando ready in the 0-1. Swung on, hit up the middle. Oh, knocked down by Marrero. Nice job. A run's going to score, but he saved a run by knocking it down and keeping it from getting into center field. But it'll be a base hit for Arcia. That from 680, the fan Joe Simpson. So far this year, Arcia is batting 333. And he has not made an error. Some injury news that uh, emerged over the last couple of days. The Yankees' Carlos Rodon is dealing with back tightness. This is going to delay his return from his elbow issue by at least a few days, according to manager Aaron Boone. White Sox shortstop Tim Anderson will miss two to four weeks after a collision uh, in, on which he was hit on the knee the other day. The Red Sox placed outfielder Adam Duvall on the 10-day injury list after he fractured that trying to make a catch. The Braves right-hander Ian Anderson uh, is set to undergo Tommy John surgery. He, of course, will be out for this entire season. The Padres and the Mets, it was 2-1 San Diego, top of the ninth inning. Xander Bogarts came to the plate with a runner on base. Here's the 1-1 pitch. That's it in the air deep down the left field line. Tommy Pham going back. He is looking up. This one gonna go way up and out here at City Field. Bogarts Again, his fourth home run of the season, a two-run shot. Final score there, 4-2. to two. That sound from 97.3, the fan. The Blue Jays, off to a good start, face the Tigers, and Kevin Kiermeyer hit a game-tying solo homer. And George Springer would follow that with a home run of his own. The Blue Jays' uh, final score there, 9-3. In Texas, the Rangers facing the Royals. The score was tied 5-all, and Jonah Heim came to the plate with two runners on base. Barlow with the 2-0. And that ball is drilled to deep right field. Jonah Heim sends one deep into the Arlington night. A walk-off, three-run home run. The Rangers defeat the Royals. And the Rangers, at the end of the day, in first place in the American League West, we've got Texas against Houston from Houston on Sunday Night Baseball. It looks like Jacob deGrom, who started last night, could be the starting pitcher for Texas, and we could get Framber Valdez for the Houston Astros. A great matchup there. Jonah Heim, by the way, four for ten in walk-off opportunities in his career with three homers and seven RBI. The Rays carried a 10-game winning streak at the outset of the season into their game against the Red Sox last night. And in the bottom of the fifth inning, teammates went back-to-back. 2-0. There's a swing and a high drive into deep left center field. Yoshida to the track, to the wall. Goal! Home run, Yandy Diaz. It's 4 nothing Rays. And now Brandon Lau lifts one in the air to deep right field on its way, turning and admiring it for Dugo. Gone! Brandon Lau is home for his fourth straight game in the race. Feeling 5-0. Well, this is the longest streak for Brandon Lau in his career for homering on consecutive days. Four straight. 
Here was the final call. Swing and a miss. It goes to the backstop. Going to chase it, Mejia. The long throw to first, and the winning streak has reached 11. The Rays just keep on rolling as they beat the Red Sox tonight, 7-2. And it's time for the third longest winning streak to begin a season in Major League Baseball since 1900. After the game, Rays manager Kevin Cash talked about what's worked for Tampa Bay. I feel like we we're making in-game adjustments off pitchers. That's that's not easy to do. You know, when you don't get a hit your first at bat, it's really easy to go up there trying to chase a hit the next one. But whatever they're learning in that first at bat, I think they're putting it to use in the second and third at bats. And as far as the pitching goes, just the overall execution has been pretty remarkable. Taylor, what else you got? Buster, the Mina Kime show featuring Lenny is rocking and rolling as we get into NFL draft season just a couple weeks away. Check her out wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. The Mina Kime show featuring Lenny. Hot Ticket is brought to you by Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN. Get great deals and the hottest tickets. Experience it live. You can now stream the most Major League Baseball games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your Major League Baseball games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECT-TV or visit directtv.com. That's D-I-R-E-C-T-V.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip codes and requires choice package. Jessica Mendoza is an analyst for ESPN, and of course, she broadcasts uh, on the Dodgers Network. Jess, how are you doing today? I'm doing awesome. This is one of my favorite cities and areas, San Francisco, and it's a beautiful sunny day, and I just absolutely love that I get to be in the stadium, be around players. Um, Did an awesome feature yesterday with Mookie Betts, um, talking about his bat that he used in the World Baseball Classic that he had like painted like crazy all these like he's got himself like bowling turning into a swing it's like one of the coolest murals I've ever seen um and then talking about his approach to the plate he kind of walked me through coming up to bat um it's just awesome you know how much I enjoy these things you you absolutely love that uh you love the conversation with players uh and we could talk about that at the outset of this uh segment we could talk about the Rays we could talk about the the Dodgers we talk about the Giants we talk about Shohei Otani but first, Jess, we need to talk about dugout celebrations, okay? All right. All right. So I will tell you, I thought about this last night, knowing that you, I was going to have you on the show today, uh, about how the first time I remember watching college softball, which you played, and you you know played famously, uh, and thinking, boy, there's just so much emotion there, and what is the problem? Like there's so much celebration with the players and they're like, you know, and they're all happy and they're jumping out of the dugout. Someone hits a home run because it was so different than what I was used to covering Major League Baseball starting in 1992. And then as time has gone on, Major League Baseball clearly catching up to where you guys have all been for years playing softball. Right. It seemed like the players, Major League players and me 
finally figuring out, you know what? It's kind of a good thing to be happy and to support each other. And that's what it seems like a lot of these dugout celebrations are about. So uh, can you accept the fact that it took us so long to catch up? Well, welcome, Buster, to the happiness. <laughs> this is where we've been for a long time. And honestly, it's it's that inhibition, I feel like, that sport brings out. And we all had it when we were kids, right? I mean, you can remember just, like, up against the fence, like, coming up with cheers, yelling as loud as you possibly can. And you still see it with Little League with the fist pumps and the tears and all the emotion. And I think that, to me, is the best part of what baseball we're seeing now is is it's that childhood inhibition where you're not conscious of the fact that, no, you got to be serious and come on, act like you've been there and maybe some knucks, but that's as far as it goes. I always hated that it transitioned. And I absolutely love that the kid in all of us is still there. And it always has been, but now we're just letting it shine, coming up with all kinds of fun stuff, whether we're wheeling people around in the dugout, a big chains around your neck come on like it's it's where the sport is meant to be yeah and I think Jess the the reason why it was the way it was in in baseball for so long was because of how much failure there is and I've had this conversation with players like they did not trust emotions because they assume that if you celebrate a moment almost through superstition like you know what you're just inviting failure you can't get too high you can't get too low because the best players make out seven out of ten times. So the idea that you would celebrate something, no, that, that's antithetical to trying to maintain an even keel uh, and to guard yourself against failure. And then in thinking about that again last night and today, as opposed to what's going on now, which is, hey, let's celebrate a moment and feel better about ourselves. And maybe that'll help us you know, project yeah. energy and emotion as we go forward. I mean, why do you play? Right. Like you play for those moments. Like if you have chosen the sport of baseball or softball in your life, there is some sick part of you that understands the grind, that understands how hard it is, that knows that through all the failure, there's going to be these rare moments. And the beauty is that it's not just about you. Like, yeah, you might be like, oh, for 30, you might be just absolutely, but you got your teammates. And I think that's part of it is it gets you out of your own head which is so easy to do because the sport can make you feel very individual, but understanding how to celebrate your teammates, when to have those moments. And you think about back when we all decided, yes, this is the sport I want to play. This is the sport that I love. It's that. It's that camaraderie. It's the like total just like childhood hanging out with your friends and celebrating, not the let's be serious all day and act like this is a job. All right, so I want to get your view on some of these specific dugout celebrations that we're seeing. You know, I love that the Toronto Blue Jays in the past, they had the Homer jacket that they would pass on to players. You saw Vladimir Guerrero Jr., for example, having that. They retired that this year. Uh, this year, I think the other day, the Baltimore Orioles may have gone next level with uh, what the players are referring to as a Homer hose. Uh, Taylor's, uh, I think the name he wants to call it is the Dong Bong uh, making it look like they're you know drinking a beer in celebration of the yeah. home run. Here's the Pirates' Mitch Keller describing the celebration sword that the Pirates wield in their dugout. Yeah, the, the sword celebration started with uh, singles and doubles. We were just thinking of something we could do for like a base hit or an RBI, and then some guys were pulling out a fake sword doing that, so that's really cool. And then we're like, we need something for home runs. And we were just talking, and I noticed that we have 
people that dress up as pirates during our baseball games. So we went over there and talked to them, and we're asking them where they get their attire and their props. And they mentioned a couple of places we could go and buy them. Uh, but then the next day, they reached out on Twitter and said that they had one for us to use. So we went after the game the other day and grabbed it from the stands, and then we're hopefully going to use it a lot this year. Yeah, and he pulls out the sword and he's slashing it around like G-Man Choi did last night in their dugout. I, I think that's so cool, and especially the incorporation of the fans. I think it's so cool we also incorporated, is that pirate music that, like, associated yes. with? Well, that, <laughs> and that wasn't us, to be clear. That was from Pirates Twitter, so I give them all the credit in the world. <laughs> it's like, Taylor, you have outdone yourself. Like You just, like, rolled in some pirate music as they're talking about swords. I love all of it. I am here for all of it. And the creativity. It gives, I think, these teams, too, like – just like, okay, how can we come up with new ways each year to be able to celebrate, to be able to have fun? It's rare to find a team that doesn't do anything. I mean, everyone's doing something. Yeah. Uh, and Taylor, how about the Orioles now breaking out the sprinkler? Did you see that? Of course. Like the they, dance? Of course they got the sprinkler coming. And I got a little clip of them talking about it too, Buster. Austin Hayes. This one, the hardest hit of all. And there go the sprinklers. It might be better than the dong bong. It's up for debate, I think. So what they had, Jess, I don't know if you saw this last night. Guy's at second base. He reaches second base. Austin Hayes is there, and he looks in the dugout, and they are like three or four of his teammates are in the front railing of the dugout, basically with a mouthful of water, spraying it out like sprinklers in celebration. <laughs> Austin Hayes does the sprinkler dance on second base as well. So that Thank initiates you. it, I Thank think. You. Yeah. That's what right. I need yeah. to know. One of the best dances as I'm doing it here <laughs> right now. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it, it's it's fun and it's cool. And I love, as I say, I love how uh, it seems like they're connecting with fans and social media is such a great way to do that. All right, let's talk about some other things. First off, the Tampa Bay Rays, they're undefeated. They're now competing with the 1972 Miami Dolphins trying to go the entire season undefeated. Jess, what are you seeing in the Tampa Bay Rays? Just everything. I mean, and honestly, the thing that I think that's standing out the most is them hitting, you know, and obviously we've seen some of these games be yeah. blowouts. The offense just take off. I mean, every time you talk about Tampa Bay preseason, why they're going to be good, why they're going to compete, they pitch, they pitch, they pitch, they pitch, which, of course, yes, you're seeing that, but oh my gosh, the bats. And, you know, coming from different places, you know, sometimes, you know, you always think about this team and it's Wander Franco, it's, it's Randy Rosarena, it's all, you know, but to see Brandon Lau, I mean, the last couple nights, I know, because we do a big fantasy baseball team in my family, and he's on my team. And so, you know, you get like, so excited about seeing so many different players in that lineup, and the offense just exploding. Because if Tampa Bay can continue at least hitting, we know they're going to pitch. But if they can hit, and it doesn't even have to be at this pace, but consistently throughout the lineup, like, hello, lookout, this is going to be such a fun team to watch. How about Shohei Otani's improvement as a pitcher? It's insane to me how it just seems like he gets better and better and better uh, as great as he is. Does it feel like the pitch clock is like the best thing in the world when it comes to some of these pitchers that are dominating? Because I watch Shohei and like he's getting the ball and going and not that he ever like really took his time or, you know, but like because he's so lethal right now, I feel like hitters are like just hesitating to get in the box. Like, wait, you want me to get you want me to go back in now? Like, did you see what he just threw me? Like they're calling time out. They're trying to slow him down. 
And a lot of times, and Dave Roberts actually with the Dodgers was talking about this last night, is when you feel like someone is dominating you, the reaction and what you've been told your whole life is slow the game down. But with Shohei Otani, you can't do it anymore. You can't. You can call timeout maybe one time, right? And that's it. And that's what I'm noticing is hitters literally hesitant to get back in the batter's box. And Shohei is just ready to deal the next pitch. Yeah, Dylan Cease, I saw he was the first guy on opening night. He was calling his own pitches. What he would do is he literally, as the ball's being thrown back to him after a pitch, he's touching a button and he's ready to go. He's back on the mound. And you know, Jess, you know, far better than I ever would because you've been in a box against pitching in those situations. And you can feel that the hitters being on the defensive, like they are on their heels and they're trying to keep up. You know, we, through the years, guys like Max Scherzer have been so good at dictating tempo. And that seems like a, some pitchers have really figured that out. Otani being one of those. Absolutely. And, you know, we've seen all like every layer of this with the clock and knowing that there is this rush sense. We see hitters who are like they're moving fast and we have seen some pitchers. Um, actually Duvall, Camilo Duvall with the Giants last night, he had a couple violations because he's having a hard time. He has a longer pace, but for the most part, I think it's advantage pitcher because I see more hitters feel rush, feel like, okay, I got to get in the box. I don't want to get in the box. <laughs> like, And it's more times not when they're facing a pitcher that's absolutely slicing them up. And you can see, they just want to call timeout, take a moment, kind of regather themselves. And they don't have that anymore. So this Sunday, uh, we have on Sunday Night Baseball, the Astros playing against the Rangers. Looks like we're going to have a great pitching matchup if everything stays in line. Jacob deGrom against Framber Valdez. So that's pretty cool. But Jess, I'm so excited about this. Martin Maldonado, it appears, will become the first catcher to wear a microphone with us while he's catching. How much fun is that going to be? Yes. Oh my gosh. Well, first of all, anytime we get a player, I mean, and that's what's been so beautiful about Sunday night is the consistency of players that are willing to be mic'd up, how we get inside the game, but we have never been inside that game to be, you know, we've been in the batter's box. We've been in the outfield. We've been in Francisco Lindor's back pocket at shortstop, but actually be behind the plate and understanding what I love too, Buster, do you see the communication with umpires? You see the communication when a batter comes up and kind of the way that they talk to each other. And then obviously, ultimately the communication between pitcher and catcher and understanding. There might be times that thing gets switched off. I totally get it. But bringing us inside one of the best positions in all of baseball, like heck yes, and I love what it says too about uh, his relationship with the pitchers, his relationship with Dusty Baker. That uh, that you know this this could go down. Like it tells you how trusted uh, Martinez. Absolutely, and and I think an understanding of like his leadership and the fact that he's very secure with understanding what he can say, what he can't. Like I think that's right. always the biggest fear. Um, but like a complete, he's one of the the most trusted players, and Dusty absolutely trusts him. All right, before you go, tell me about the Giants. We've got them on Sunday Night Baseball in a couple weeks, and I'm starting to do my research, getting ready for that broadcast. They are on both ends of the spectrum. So in their wins, they're scoring 10-plus runs a game. It's been insane, like the amount of offense that you're going to see. And in their losses, it's just totally silent when it comes to their bats. And they're still trying to figure it out, Buster. I mean, this is a team that you know has you know definitely a different look, a different identity, as we all know, they tried to go out and get some superstars in Aaron Judge. They tried to get Carlos Correa. They were in the mix with Trey Turner. I mean, it just it, it this is a team that really, really wanted to have that big, huge free agent signing. They didn't get it. 
So they've had to, you know, kind of make do and, you know, piecemeal. They had some trades, some things that have been happening. And what I see right now is actually um, a team that needs to improve in a lot of ways with their pitching. I mean, we're seeing their starting pitchers, their ace, Logan Webb, has struggled. Um, You know, Alex Wood was really good last night, but he struggled out the gate. Um, The pitchers that I think they didn't feel like they had to worry about that had great numbers last year um, have have struggled early on in this season, um, and then they're not getting those consistent bats. But the talent is definitely there. So tell me if you like this comparison. I was thinking of this last night about the Rays. You know, the 2021 Giants won 107 games in the regular season in a year in which they had these great core performances from Buster Posey, from Brandon Crawford. I think that, and you know, of course, they they always have the the group of platoon players as well that succeeded around those core guys. What we're seeing with the Rays this year is a lot like that Giant team, where they have Wander Franco being healthy, and there's a great core performance. A Rosa Reina, uh, great core performer, and they have all those platoon guys and the mix and match guys around them that are having a lot of success. Does that make sense? Yeah, and they're they're leading with a joy too. I mean, when you watch those guys play, they're having fun. They're really enjoying. Of course, it helps when you're eleven and zero and you're not losing games. Of course, everyone's having fun. It's like the easiest thing in the world. I'm interested to see that makeup when they hit that point when you always do because now the expectation of the Rays is so much higher. There's been so much talk about how great this team is, and we all know they're going to hit a stretch where they're going to struggle. They're going to lose some games, and how do they respond then? Because right now, watching them, it's a party. I mean, like they're, you know, everyone's great. They love each other. I'm interested to see when they hit that stretch um, that, that just happens in 162 games, how they respond. All right, Jess. Have fun tonight. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, absolutely. Todd Bradham is the chief executive of our weekly quiz. He's a graphic artist whose work can be seen on ball fields all across America, all around the world, or you can go to his website, toddradom.com. Todd, how you doing this week? I'm doing well, Buster. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. We've had fun today talking about this change in dugout culture in baseball. Uh, the home run celebrations. And I was thinking about this, sort of my own mindset about dugout uh, emotion. You know, so much of my perspective was shaped by talking with players, probably older players, uh, you know, in the when I started covering AAA and then in the big leagues. And it was that whole mindset of, you know, you don't show emotion because there's so much failure in baseball. You got to maintain an even keel. And I'll give you one example of that. I, you know, in the first years that I started watching baseball, and I'm sure you'll remember this, uh, covering baseball, if a, if a pitcher got lit up on the mound, you remember how the reaction was in the dugout. No one would speak to him. No one would talk to him. A guy would come back. Let's say he gave up a seven spot, a grand slam, and he would sit in the corner of the dugout. No one would approach him. He'd be completely miserable. And I can remember the first time seeing a pitcher uh, having, you know, going to the corner of the dugout after a bad outing and players going up and like tapping him on the leg or pat him on the back. Hey, hang in there, buddy. You know, you'll, you'll do better the next time. And I remember my old self being appalled by that. Like, what are they doing? The guy just had a terrible outing. He probably wants to be left alone. There's no, there's no consolation there, right? There's no crying in baseball. And, and now I think back and I, and, I, and I just think, boy, that's really silly. Like the idea of, you know, being emotional in a dugout, showing some sympathy for a teammate. That was outrageous back in the day, Todd. 
Well, how did they feel about Batflips, Buster? Yeah. I mean, come on. The things change. Um, even discussing a no-hitter among broadcasters, right? It cuts cuts over to the other side of the ledger as well. But yeah, this kind of tracks the world, and I love it. I love the Orioles celebrating in the way that they do. <laughs> I love Otani with the uh, with the uh, with the the Warrior headwear. I mean, you know, bring it all on because let's face it, I am part of the marketing of the game, and if we can get our players to appear to be human beings and not stoic machines sitting there in the corner of a dugout, I think it's a pretty good thing. Yeah, and it really comes down to I thought about this, you know, as I, I as getting ready to talk to Jess before. The choice between having fun or not, right? Yeah. I mean, it kind of comes down to that. Okay, whether it's a you know a, a good game, a bad, just have fun. And, and well, that's it. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, it's it's been it's been really fun to watch with the Doug. And I love the fact what the Pirates did with the the sword that they you know that came down. Uh, now the players are doing it after hitting home runs. And the story being told that it was inspired by a fan who was wearing pirate's gear and, you know, hands that sort. I think it's it's all really cool. And I think it's a way to also include the fans. Well, and and last word on it, uh, for anybody listening, take a look at the final out of a World Series from post-World War II era, right? And see how those guys celebrate. They are not jumping all over each other. The rare example that that kind of counters this is Yogi Berra and Don Larson celebrating the perfect game in the 1956 World Series. But that is the exception to the rule. By and large, aside from trying to get off the field while all these fans are storming the uh, the, the, the diamond and uh, about to rip the place apart, um, it's a pretty chill thing. They might have loosened up a little bit once they got back into the clubhouse and the beer and champagne started flowing. But yeah, bring it all on. That's That's my feeling. Yeah, a couple pivot points in sports history. I was thinking about this. Uh, 1987 World Series, Tom Lawless. He of the two career or regular season home runs hits a monster home run for the Cardinals and stands at home plate, admires it. He knew it was out as soon as he hit it because it was like 25 rows deep and then did this incredible bat flip, which at the time... You know, it was shocking. ABC doing the broadcast in that game, they like showed that over and over and over. And then years before that in the NBA, Magic Johnson's first game, uh, you know, there's an inbound pass and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar hits a sky hook from the elbow of the free throw line. It was like an 18-foot sky hook, hits it, they win the game. Magic goes crazy. He's giving him a hug and his Magic tells the story, you know, they're back in the, in the locker room afterward and Kareem's like, hey, Rook, don't ever do that again. And his response was, hey, big fella, if you hit 81 more sky hooks to win games, I'm going to jump on you 81 more times. And that's exactly the right perspective I think we should all have, right, as we totally. go through life. All right. Uh, tell us about this week's Forgotten Fields. Buster, 900 East 33rd Street in Baltimore's Waverly neighborhood was home to the Baltimore Orioles from 1954 until 1991. It hosted two NFL teams, a Canadian Football League team, and a minor league baseball club for a single season after the Orioles left for Camden Yards. Queen Elizabeth II attended an O's game at Baltimore Memorial Stadium, as did several U.S. presidents. Richard M. Nixon threw out the first pitch prior to the inaugural Major League game there in 1954. Memorial Stadium was the first MLB ballpark constructed entirely of reinforced concrete, 
Its austere brick exterior and imposing entrance were contrasted by its unique setting in the middle of a residential neighborhood with a tree-covered grass slope situated beyond center field. Caught between two eras, Memorial Stadium represents a bridge between baseball's classic jewel box stadiums like Fenway and Wrigley and the concrete donuts of the 60s and 70s in cities like St. Louis, Philadelphia, and Pittsburgh. Memorial Stadium was erected on the site of a previous park that had hosted a minor league baseball team also called the Orioles, as well as big football games, including the Army-Navy game. The new Baltimore Memorial Stadium went up in the years immediately following World War II and was immediately expanded upon and modified as the prospects of Baltimore rejoining the major leagues became real. Charm City's history with big league baseball dated back to the very origins of the game, but the American League's Orioles evaporated after only two years in 1902, and Baltimore remained a large minor league city until the St. Louis Browns moved there in 1954. The new Orioles, these are today's Orioles, made their home debut on a blustery, rainy afternoon, April 15, 1954, in front of 46,354 fans. The most recent prior big league game in Baltimore, played on September 20, 1902, attracted a crowd, and I'm using air quotes, of just 138 people, Buster. (laughs) Memorial Stadium was not entirely ready. Scaffolding still covered parts of the ballpark, and some paving still needed to be done, but big league ball was back after a half century, and that's all that mattered. The Orioles and their football neighbors, the Baltimore Colts, changed the city's image, captured the city's imagination in the 1950s and 60s. Born from the ashes of the hapless St. Louis Browns, the Orioles developed a legendary farm system and became legitimate contenders as the 60s dawned. They won the first of three World Series titles in 1966, the season that MVP Frank Robinson became the only player to hit a ball entirely out of the ballpark there. On Mother's Day that year, he connected off Cleveland right-hander Louis Tian and launched a ball up, out, and over the left-field bleachers. A flag was later added to the point where the Titanic shot left the ballpark, which simply read, here, H-E-R-E. The 1966 title was supplemented with world championships in 1970 and 83, but the team's home park was starting to become a liability. Neighborhood traffic and parking were never good there, and there were many obstructed view seats. In the mid-70s, the Orioles played without a lease for two years, and their expired agreement required them to play only 70 games there, with no obligations at all beyond 1980. Rumors of a full-time move to Washington were real, and as the Orioles' lease situation annually stagnated, the Colts bolted town in the middle of the night in March 1984. In June of that year, the Orioles agreed to move to a new downtown ballpark at Camden Yards, thus saving the team for Charm City. Memorial Stadium's last Orioles game took place on October 6, 1991, a 7-1 loss to the Detroit Tigers in front of a sellout crowd of 50,000 fans. The old ballpark lived on for a few years, but as time eventually came for it to be demolished. Starting in early 2001, the old gray lady of 33rd Street was slowly taken apart. 10,000 cubic yards of concrete rubble from the stadium was used to build an artificial reef in the Chesapeake Bay. The site of the ballpark eventually gave way to a mixed-use development called Stadium Place. Near the Heritage-run maintenance-free senior living center, there lies a baseball diamond, which marks the site of a youth sports park built 
by the Cal Ripken Senior Foundation. It's called Memorial Field at the Y. Go there, imagine the Robinsons, Brooks and Frank, along with Jim Palmer, Earl Weaver, Eddie Murray, Cal Ripken Jr., and others, and give thought to Memorial Stadium, which is this week's Forgotten Field. And Todd, you and I have talked about this before. Uh, a no ballpark closed uh, more appropriately than what happened with Memorial. Uh, anybody who uh, wants to, to to watch that should go find this on YouTube. I've gone back and looked at it two or three times because it was just so moving. Yeah. Uh, what they did is is that the fans didn't really know what was going to happen uh, after that loss to Detroit. Mike Flanagan threw the final pitch for the Orioles. Uh, in that game, longtime Oriole pitcher, the game ends and they basically tell the fans, hey, there's something, uh, you know, be ready. And then these former Oriole players began to uh, emerge from the home dugout uh, in uniform. And one by one, you know, Frank Robinson, Brooks Robinson, and without a word being spoken by the PA announcers, because the fans all knew who these guys were. Yeah. And eventually all the starting pitchers from the 1970 Orioles all go out together. You know, the 420 game winners uh, from 1971, uh, Jim Palmer and Dave McGowan. It was just so well done. And, of course, I think the last player, if I remember correctly, who went on the field was Cal Ripken Jr., uh, you know, helping to close the ballpark. That was anybody who, uh, you know, loves sentimentality and baseball connected together should go back and watch that. Yes, would you echo me? I would, and it really set the tone, along with the closing of Comiskey Park uh, just shortly before that, for a slew of ballpark closings, including Yankee Stadium and Shea Stadium in New York and Tiger Stadium in Detroit. But, Buster, the dynamics of a smaller city like Baltimore and this very rich storied history in a kind of concentrated amount of time really made that a very magical ceremony. And I only went to one ball game at Memorial, Memorial Stadium, but it really strikes me uh, still, again, in the middle of this residential neighborhood, a high school across the street, such a kind of strange but very cool experience. Yeah, it it, uh, it was phenomenal. And the connection, you mentioned the connection in a small city between the, the team uh, and, and the fans. So many of those Oriole players lived in Baltimore, not only during their careers, but afterward. Uh, because they just enjoyed it so much, and that was part of the connection with Memorial. All right, let's get to uh, this week's quiz. All right, here we go. It is week six of our quiz, everybody. We have been hearing a lot about the 1884 St. Louis Maroons, who were members of the short-lived Union Association. So here's this week's question. Which one of these teams was not a member of the Union Association? Wow. Was it A, the Brooklyn Bridges? Was it B, the Pittsburgh Stogies? Was it C, the Baltimore Monumentals? Or was it D, the Kansas City Cowboys? Not a member of the Union Association. The Brooklyn Bridges, the Pittsburgh Stogies, the Baltimore Monumentals, or the Kansas City Cowboys? All right, Sarah, you can go first. Oh, why do I have to go first? Uh, the because Brooklyn it's a total Bridges. guess and we're all in the same boat. <laughs> a, the Brooklyn Bridges. Taylor? I'll go with the uh, Baltimore Monumentals. Oh, boy. Uh, my, I was thinking Brooklyn Bridges. I was trying to remember the time frame in which that was built. I'm with Taylor on this one, B. Sarah, you are the winner oh, this week because man. Brooklyn Bridgers were never a union association team. 
And as a matter of fact, I am seriously wondering why the Union Association is considered to be a major league. <laughs> I, I, I mean, have seriously. To now, Sarah, I must tell you, because my instinct was the same as yours, and I doubled back on it, and I followed Taylor. That is always a losing equation. Oh, yeah. Don't do that, Buster. <laughs> that was foolish. <laughs> the, the Baltimore Monumentals were a team, and Buster covered them in his rookie season. I think. Oh, so, man. you didn't remember that. Owned by I'm Tim the same Kirsten, age as I'm you, sure. so I can make that dig. Come on. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, Todd, thanks for doing this. All right, everybody. Thank you. <clears throat> ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks. Predicting upsets. Winning my bracket group and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Capital One. ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks. Predicting upsets. Winning my bracket group and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Allstate. Jesse Rogers writes for ESPN.com, and today you can read a piece he wrote about Wilson Contreras taking over for Yadier Molina in St. Louis. But Jesse, there is so much going on in the National League Central that I want to ask you about today. How you doing? Doing great. It has been a fun start to the season and I'm based in Chicago and it's 75 degrees this week. Unheard of in April, Buster, so I'm doing well. Warm in Chicago and the wind was blowing out at Wrigley Field last night and this is what happened in the bottom of the third inning. So, Jesse, we we thought the Chicago Cubs were going to be better this year, and the early signs this season are very hopeful. What are you seeing? No, I think they will be better. What they have, Buster, is a nice mix of young and older players, good culture there, some good leadership. Obviously, Dansby Swanson is the main guy there, but Mancini, Hosmer, Bellinger, all have been really good in that locker room and at times have contributed so far. It is a good mix. I think they're an 80 to 81 win team, but if something goes right that is unexpected, maybe they could increase that win total to, to the mid to upper 80s. Who knows? But, um, it's a nice little thing they're building there, but I, I think there's just one step in, in, in several. Uh, it's a nice start to the season. It's good to get the Rangers and Mariners here in April kind of still feeling their way out and they don't play here very often. And the Cubs won both those series, but you know, it's a long season, but it's definitely a decent start. So tell me about Nelson Velasquez. What have you heard about him? What do you know about him? You know, it's funny. A couple of years ago, he was ripping it up at, at, at double and triple A. And you know how it happens. You get a cup of coffee. It doesn't go as smooth when you get up here and you, you get lost in the shuffle a little bit. What's funny about him, though, is um, say a Suzuki's hurt and they don't really have a, a solid defensive right fielder on the roster. Trey Mancini was there over the weekend. He misplayed a ball and immediately... They called up Velasquez just to have a right fielder late in games, and that's what he what he did in his first game. He came in late 
and secured a win. Um, actually made a catch there uh, in in in, uh, in one of the games. And then yesterday, he hits the Grand Slam, has a great day at the plate. He's actually shown some good hit tools, but he's, he was brought up to be more of a defensive replacement. I imagine he's going to get another start or two until Suzuki comes back. Yeah, and Suzuki's uh, return is right around the corner, yes? Yeah, it is. It is. And it really length, lengthens the lineup out a little bit. What I've been mostly impressed is it, Cody Bellinger, don't look at the numbers, He's had really good at-bats, and the numbers are getting better. He started out 0 for 11, so he's digging himself out of that hole. But he had an at-bat the other night, Buster, that reminded me of Anthony Rizzo. Two-strike approach, fouling balls off with a man Come on, on third. Come on, Cody than... Bellinger and Anthony Rizzo with a two-strike approach? Absolutely. Fouled off like three pitches and then finally got one to hit and took it down the right field line. There's a man on third with less than two outs, so that's why he had that approach. I've been really impressed by Bellinger, which I thought was going to be more of a longer-term project, and it still might be. But um, the steps are there. He's taking the right steps. Hosmer's had good at-bats, but, you know, 10 days doesn't make a season. So, again, we have to wait. But uh, uh, Suzuki's return will certainly help lengthen the lineup. Well, and you and I know that if Dansby Swanson had gotten off to a bad start, that would have been a big story because, uh, you know, he's the Cubs' one significant investment during the course of the offseason – He's a centerpiece for what they're trying to do, going pitching and defense as we go forward. So far, Jesse, batting 400, 467 on base percentage, 450 slug. It's interesting, you know, because, of course, in recent years, he's basically a you know, guy, you know, 260, do a lot of damage late innings with some, some power. Uh, no home runs so far this year, but he seems to be right in the middle of what they're doing offensively. Yeah, and he had high strikeout totals in the past, but he right. made a commi- he made a commitment in the offseason to to change some of that approach, uh, more contact oriented, go the opposite field, use the holes in the infield. Now that there's no shift, he's done all that. I'm not surprised though. His demeanor, his character, like that's the kind of guy you say the phrase "Don't bet against Dansby Swanson." He, you tell him he can't do something. He will find a way to do it, and he's getting—he's still getting better as a hitter. Um, what a pickup he's been so far, and defensively, he's been all that and more. Made a heads-up play two nights ago where he threw out the lead runner at third. How many shortstops with the ball hit behind the runner go to third base? The runner was going from second to third, and he threw him out at third. It was the, it was a huge play in a one-run game. Uh, he's been—he's been great, and and he's had to deal with his wife getting injured in this you know terrible way on the soccer field. Um, that's not easy. I saw the look on his face two days ago in the locker room. He, he looked like something happened, you know, with his family and, and he still was able to perform yesterday. She had surgery, successful surgery. He actually had to come out of the game last night because just everything was just the emotions and physically he was worn out, but, but they turned out, you know, turned into a big win down seven, nothing, you know, they come back and score 14 runs and win the game. So he's been great, and the, and the start at Wrigley Field's been good, but it's nine home games to three road games, Buster. So a lot of road baseball yet to come. They go to L.A. next. That'll be interesting. Yeah, and it sounds like from the way, like I can hear in your voice, there's like, okay, let's give it a little bit more time about the Cubs. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Like it's, You have to say that about any team. You You really do. Um, I, I like Arizona. I like Texas. I like the Cubs. They're all off to decent starts, but you have to say, wait a minute. It's six months. It's not a few, you know, just a few weeks or whatever. We got to see how this thing plays out. I think the Cubs culture is really good. I think it comes down to talent. Are they, are, can, do they have enough talent to win the division or make the playoffs? 
And you don't find that out over two weeks. You find that out over six months. Right. Uh, and, but I would say this. I feel like uh, as I you know, think back to my preseason expectations of various teams that I may have completely whiffed on the Milwaukee Brewers. Like I thought this was a team coming into the year that would ha- have a tough time challenging in the division. Uh, you know, we saw last year with the trade of Josh Hader that they, you know, payroll management is, is uh, at the top of the top of their list. The work that they're doing defensively early in this season has jumped out, and it was a great sign that Corbin Burns, who hadn't got off the best start, bounced back. What's your read on the Brewers? I am in your camp. Misread them. Our colleague Jeff yeah. Passan was much higher on on them than we were. Bryce Terreno, Brian Anderson. I mean, the way they either acquire or develop or bring the best out of players is amazing. I've always, and I'm sure you do think, Craig Council is among the best in the game. He's got to have a hand in all this stuff. Uh, Rowdy Telez, I mean, who knew anything about him? And then he comes out and has this huge year last year, and I'm sure he's he's probably going to hit 30 this year as well. My read is, like you, very surprised and impressed. Uh, it probably has some lasting ability because I think Council is that good. Um, I don't count St. Louis out. They've done this before. They've had slow starts, and they had so many players at the WBC. I do worry about their pitching staff a little bit. So I think Milwaukee, to me, has already proven, hey, I think we're going to be around this year like we are almost every year. Maybe not World Series caliber, but definitely important September baseball games caliber. So I'm like you. I've been very impressed. You know, it's interesting. Each Various teams uh, have reputations for being especially good at developing one part of a team. You know, Cleveland has done such a great job in in the last decade, last 15 years, developing starting pitching. And it feels like they have this constant pipeline of starting pitching. The Tampa Bay Rays uh, always seem to be able to find relievers. And there's no doubt that if you are a catcher and you want to get better, then you go to the Milwaukee Brewers. You know, early this season, William Contreras, who when he was with the Braves had a reputation of being a subpar defender, he's off to a great start defensively. And it's it's something clearly within their organization they're very good at teaching. Yeah, I I think it, it, it extends beyond catching. I really do. I just think they have a good thing going. And um, you know, they've switched over the executive role a little bit, right? David Stearns to, to Matt Arnold, but the, the one constant during this run is Craig Council, and, and the manager sets the tone, sets the tone for the whole group, uh, minor leagues and, and, and on, you know, obviously major leagues and minor leagues on down, and I think he's just done a great job all around. You mentioned the Cardinals. They're 23rd in the big leagues in, in staff ERA at 5.06. Uh, I said during spring training, I couldn't imagine a scenario uh, where they wouldn't win this division because there's so much talent, but I I got to believe that within the Cardinals organization that they're starting to think about the possibility of bundling some of that position player talent and trying to go out and find a starting pitcher who's relatively young with, uh, you know, who has a, a higher ceiling than some of what they're seeing within their organization. Because early on, Jesse, it's ugly for them. It really is. And I, I was baffled in the offseason. I mean, I know they, they're not the type of team that pushes all in, but they certainly did at the catching position. They didn't do that on the mound. Um, there's a reason Verlander and Scherzer didn't play in the WBC while Adam Wainwright did. And what happens? He ends up getting hurt. And they weren't that deep even with him. And they're counting on Jack Flaherty to return to, I don't know, 2019 Jack Flaherty. Um, I'm with you. Now, the last two Julys, they've done well. John Lester, J.A. Happ, I mean, somehow got them 
to the playoffs in 21. And then last year, Jordan Montgomery. So this is a resourceful team. And my, my feeling is they'll do it again in July, whether it be a rental or a younger starting pitcher. But I, I'm still surprised they didn't do more on the mound in the offseason. That just seemed like uh, an easy, easy fix because look, they again are NL Central worthy, but they don't seem World Series caliber with that starting staff. Well, and that's, you know, I mean, given the Cardinals, uh, you know, history, that the standard for them should be, okay, what's going to get us deep into postseason? And that seemingly has been what they've lacked in recent years is that frontline starting pitching that can match up with, you know, a number one or number two of another team, you know, a face, you know, a, a deep lineup like the Braves lineup or, you know, the Dodgers or the Padres. And, you know, it, it's interesting because I started to go through the list. I'm not going to go through it today of young starting pitchers on other teams. But, you know, the Cardinals certainly are in a position where they can say, look, we've got, you know, this group of position players. Let's package up a couple of those guys, uh, you know, guys who are going to be who have uh, low in service time and could benefit another team. Uh, but some of these, uh, you know, clubs that are that are going to be out of contention pretty quickly, it'll be interesting to see if St. Louis is aggressive because, boy, uh, there, there. As you have outlined, there's some serious questions about the starting pitching. All right, we talked to Jessica Mendoza about these home run celebrations that teams are now really beginning to focus on in their dugouts. Give me, give me one or two that have jumped out to you early. Well, I just saw one that, that well, the Cubs had one the other day. Now they have a sheriff's hat that they're going to pull out whenever, whenever they they celebrate. So Nico Horner was wearing the sheriff's hat, you know, cowboy hat. And they call him, the, you know, whoever is the star is the sheriff of the game. Um, that was a good one. I'm trying to think of a couple others. Uh, Texas had a good one the other day. I, I, I'm trying to think of the, the one that I liked the most, though. Um, Do you like the Homer hose that uh, that the Orioles are doing, the the, uh, the dong dong, yes, yes. as they're calling it? Yeah, Baltimore is going to be in town this weekend in Chicago, so I'm definitely going to follow up on that. Uh, that That's a good one. Um you know, the samurai it, it, hat that Otani has that they right. you know, he's used that with the Angels. Yeah, I've seen the workers' helmet. I can't remember which team they put the the workers, you know, the, the hard hat on 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 uh, the home run hitter. They've used that as well. Um, yeah, you know, it, be, between that and and walk off celebrations, we we are seeing a little bit more um, excitement in in the game. You know, there's that you know whole debate about bat flips, but. I do feel like things like that happen in the WBC will, will over time start to rub off on on Major League Baseball and home run celebrations and walk up celebrations have certainly taken a new um, new new uh, process over the last five years or so because it used to be not that big of a deal to walk off a game in in, the, in in you know regular season game now it's become a big deal and and same thing with home run celebrations uh, and I think it's cool I like the fact that the players are loosening up. That's right. That's what I'm saying. And I think the WBC has some effect on that. The way international baseball has played some effect on it's all, I think, trickling down. It's, it's, it's not easy for a game that you fail, you know, seven, eight times out of 10. But I think that makes it even more important to celebrate those moments. That's what Joe Madden talked about. It's like he was, you know, it's not easy to win a game. It's not easy to hit a home run. You may as well celebrate when you can. I think we're seeing more and more players do that. All right, Jesse. Hey, thanks for doing this. It was good to talk with you. Absolutely, Buster. I will see you down the road. Bleacher Tweets. 
Alrighty, Buster. Bleacher tweets for a Wednesday. Corbin Lunt at Corbonzo Beans writes in, Buster, you talked in the preseason about how the Cubs would improve through their pitching and defense this season. Their offense has also been solid so far this season. Is this real or a fluke? Jesse Rogers seems to think we need to wait a little bit longer. What do you think? Yeah, I think in terms of the offense being dynamic, yeah, I I think that they are going to have a lot of 3-2-2-1 games. I'd say this. uh, I think Jesse said 80 wins would be a, a really good year for them. I think they'll be a little better than that. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs, but uh, they are showing the improvement that we talked about during the spring. Matt Connoisseur of Cracker Jacks writes in, Buster, you were on the record saying the Rays won't make the playoffs. That was on March 29th. How are you feeling about that now? Taylor, Sarah, go back, find that episode, and burn it, okay? <laughs> just, just destroy it. <laughs> of course, I feel like an idiot. <laughs> it's okay it was just the preseason uh gregory gosnell at carl's jr 9982 writes in about robo umps if an umpire calls a strike a player complains then gets ejected the call is challenged and overturned could a player be reinstated into a game or would the presence of a challenge negate the player's frustration gregory without having specifically asked that question to anybody in baseball, uh, I, I, I think there's no chance they go back and reverse an ejection. Because let's face it, it's one thing to complain or to disagree with the decision. Usually what gets a player ejected is a magic word that mm-hmm. crosses a line as far as the umpire is concerned. Uh, if, for example, there was an ejection of Manny Machado last week, and then when you uh, hear what the word was said about the umpire, <laughs> you kind of get it. <laughs> Even if Manny was right about the the decision, uh, you kind of understand why he was ejected. (laughs) Coach Jake at Jacob Klossner writes in the concerns with the Brewers with scoring runs. Is this too early to decide or are they playing completely different this year, not relying on the long ball to score runs? Yeah, as I said to Jesse, I completely missed on the Brewers and what they could be. Look, I, I think the athleticism of that team uh, is just stands out. And the defensive uh, metrics early on are showing how much range that team has. Jatai Joe writes in at Jatai Joe 87 in honor of Sarah Langs and her frequent references to the 1984 Maroons. Todd Radom today as well. I think we need a one-time segment on the podcast about the 1884 Maroons. Apparently, they're the best team in history that nobody has heard of. I want to know more. Maybe Todd could do that as a step out from a forgotten fields. Yeah, I think we might have to do that. You know, as we go along here. Also, I had an interesting idea. Uh, the longtime uh, media relations director for the uh, then Cleveland Indians and the Baltimore Orioles, John Maroon, who now represents Cal Ripken. I might have to because I bet you he might know about the Maroons. Mm. You know, we'll get John Maroon on to talk about the Maroons. Okay. Hey, Buster, real quick before we go, uh, since we've been talking about the home run celebrations today, let me give you my my top six here and see if you agree with me. Number one, obviously, the dong bong. Um, the samurai helmet for the angels. Number two, that was going to be my number one before the dong bong was unveiled. I was excited to talk about that. Uh, the pirate sword, number three, the brewers cheese head, number four, the Padres Polaroid picture, number five, and the reds Viking helmet, number six, Sarah, what say you? I mean, the dong bong was pretty great, but I'm like the samurai sword. So I think that's going to be my number one. But other than that, you know, if we've, Modify the list a little. I agree. No, Dong Bong is next level. Like, I'm sorry, that that took it to a whole other play. That's going to be hard for other teams to top that. 
It's over, baby. Just like this segment of Bleacher Tweets. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets. Let us know which one you like the most. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> That's it for today. My thanks to Jess, Todd, Jesse, Sarah, Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.